Hi, I'm Mona Shukla. I'm responsible for Packet Core and communication services for Ericsson in North America. Ultimately, from an operator perspective, everybody wants to go to 5G core standalone one day. I'm Catherine Speglia, and this is Well Technically, the tech podcast where women do the explaining. Hi, Mona. Thanks so much for joining me. Hi, Catherine. Thanks for having me. We'll be talking about standalone 5G and the 5G core today. But before we do that, I've got to ask you, what is an example of a time in which being a woman has empowered you? Catherine, really, this is for me, would be every day. I feel women bring three unique qualities to workplace. And that's their ability to collaborate, um, empathize, and multitask because we are juggling so many things at the same time. Uh, one distinct example that I remember from a couple of years back, I was driving, uh, driving this uh, program, which was uh, pretty high attention, high profile, very aggressive um, time, time wise. And I remember, you know, after the program was done, the launch was done. I was uh, with um, with dinner. I was on dinner with uh, the sponsor. And we were just kind of talking about what do we do outside work? And I mentioned that I have two kids. Back then, they were like four and six. And he was shocked. He's like, wow, I never realized that you had kids because you always collaborated with us. Didn't matter the time of day. It was weekend work. Uh, of course, none of that would have been possible without the amazing colleagues. And the culture that I had in Ericsson gave me the flexibility but it also mean that to me that came naturally. I, I multitask so many things in the back end that this, this did not feel awkward or different. Yeah, that's definitely something I have been hearing a lot since I started doing this podcast, that multitasking and knowing how to do that well really comes in handy. So similarly, I know that women in tech is something you are personally involved in and that you are an industry mentor with the Young Women in Science and Engineering Organization, which among other things, seeks to increase high school students' interest in STEM and it particularly targets women. So this got me thinking a little bit about your own interest in technology. So where did that start for you and what do you think contributed to that interest? I think if I kind of uh, reflect back where I was, when I was in elementary school, I naturally gravitated towards math and science. That that was where I felt the most comfortable. I um, mean, language was something that I would avoid <laughs> most of the times. So that was my natural tendency. Uh, I also like building projects. So even now I would do like, you know, DIY furniture stuff at home. Ikea is my favorite uh, store. Uh, and even back then when I was little, even in the art projects that I built in, I realize now that you use so many of engineering and math concepts. You use measurements. You use, you know, you get to see how chemicals react with each other. And then lastly, my parents played a big role. Um, I come from a family of engineers. So a lot of influence in uh, going towards the field of engineering. So that overall contributed my interest. And now, of course, I'm very passionate on how do we give this to the younger generation to kind of promote women in the STEM area. Another thing I love about doing this podcast and being in tech in the first place is that I actually avoided math and science as much as I could when I was younger. And 
you know, it's kind of why I'm a journalist in this field. I was always really into writing and reading and all that stuff. So it's particularly enjoyable, not just to speak with successful women in all these different careers, but women who are in such a different industry and their, you know, their minds are, are a little bit different than mine. Okay. So now that we talked a little bit about what got you into technology, let's talk some more about what you are currently doing in tech, which is working at Ericsson, focusing, well, at least we're going to focus on standalone 5G for right now. So what are some of the biggest advantages around standalone 5G? How will it add to user experience? Um, so if you think about who the users are in this environment, right? So for in my mind, there are like three buckets where I put users uh, off standalone core. One is our end-to-end mobile consumers, like people like you and me, we use our phones daily for messaging, Instagram, whatnot. For us, that might mean if you have a standalone core, what does that mean for us? Well, it means that some of our current applications are going to run faster. Now, if you're a gamer, then it's a different, you know, you're going to have a very different experience because now the network has more capacity, has low latency. So if you're into gaming, then that's where you start seeing some of the big differences. Then the second bucket of users are the enterprise or industry verticals. And this is where the biggest differentiator comes, what SA brings. It enables an ecosystem which allows these new industries and enterprises to function. Think about in terms of IoT, what's connected, you know, connected devices, fleet management. You can have smart meters and grids, you know, robotics, AR, VR. Uh, think about the ultra low uh, reliability and low latency. You know, you talk about remote, you know, people doing remote surgery one day, uh, smart factories. This is what the potential holds when it comes from a core perspective, from an SA Corp. And then the third bucket is for the operators. So the, the people that are bringing, our operators that are providing these services to end consumer enterprises. To them, uh, functions such as end-to-end, uh, I mean, network slicing. Now they don't have to build different networks for different use cases. You can use the same network, slice it, and give a slice to each use cases. There's also improved security. You could do edge computing. Um, you could do, you know, there's enhanced quality of service. And it's also agility. SA Core is based on service-based architecture, which means that all the services kind of talk to each other in a very seamless, you know, standard way. So then you have a little bit more flexibility on what you can do with the architecture. So those are some of the benefits of the type of users that are consuming SA Core. Okay, that's interesting. And you mentioned the benefits to operators. So let's talk more about operators. Can you explain to me the different carrier strategies that exist around the 5G core? Are there differences in how they're introducing the 5G core into their networks? And if so, why these differences? Mm. So ultimately, from an operator perspective, everybody wants to go to 5G core standalone one day. Uh, the ways you can, I mean, 3GPP defines various ways in which you can do this. There are seven or dif- uh, seven different ways of getting there. But the two big ways in which most of the operators are going to choose to do this in their networks is start with what they have today. So start with the NSA deployment. You know, you can do a software upgrade, easily get to an NSA uh, architecture, and then migrate to SA over time. So build an SA network as an overlay on top of your existing investments uh, to leverage the uh, you know kind of the good of both worlds, and then there will be pockets or for people who are greenfield who do not have existing uh, infrastructure in 4G LTE space, they're going to choose to go with SA day one so that they do not have to worry about any migrations. They don't have anything to migrate to any uh, anything to migrate from anyways. 
And then you'd ask, you know, why, why, so what do you choose then? I mean, how, how do you choose between the two paths? It, it depends on what your business outcome is. Who, who are you catering to? And when do you want to launch some of these services? Um, we know that the standards on SA uh, have been evolving for a, for a while now. R16 just got frozen in July, which means the handsets that are needed based on these standards, uh, you know, they, now you can start seeing some of them being uh, readily available in the market. So even if you wanted to launch it last year, you couldn't because, you know, there were no handsets back then. Uh, then, of course, it's always, you know, if you want to segment, if you want to target the mobile broadband users like you and me, then that would be, you know, there you decide, you know, that's the use case you're targeting that you can easily achieve by this NSA, SA combination. Uh, so it all depends upon the timing. Uh, you know, you want to leverage what you have today. And then, of course, you know, to to enable those industries and verticals that we spoke about, you do need the SA for the full experiencing or full potential that it has to offer. You mentioned that every operator's goal is to get to standalone 5G. So you're expecting every carrier to transition fully to standalone, or will there be certain situations where non-standalone continues to exist? Yeah, so um, I think for the next few years, uh, NSA will remain to exist with SA. So as they build out SA over the years, these two will evolve, they will coexist. Now, um, how are they? And we already spoke about devices. You know, it also will depend on the timing. So not every operator will have the device that is uh, readily available for the spectrum that they have. So as devices come out in the market based on the spectrum on which they work, that's where the operator will choose should we swap to now SA versus should we stay on NSA. Uh, Of course, then there are some operators which are really small. And let's say if they only cater to the mobile broadband piece of the industry, they may not even choose to go SA for many, many years because there's no leverage or advantage for them to doing that. A lot of market pressures, what their competition is doing, and even things like they may have a roaming agreement in an S- with an SA operator. That is what will enable them to move towards an NSA eventually. And of course, you know, we are talking right now in the context of a core, but the big player is also from a RAN, from a radio perspective, how much spectrum do you have and how are you going to use it and in which manner is going to dictate where you go? Right, right. That's a good point. And I know you started to, to, to talk about some of the timeline around this, but, you know, from Ericsson's perspective, what is the timeline or some of the milestones around standalone 5G? Um, from, from our perspective, I mean, this is a multi-year journey. I mean, if you look at some of the top tier ones here in North America, they've already started the journey. You know, you'll start to see uh, some of the early announcements. All of them are in some form or fashion, you know, either validation from a lab perspective, you know, in trials. Um, so those are the kind of, uh, you know, in the next now from going now in the next year, you'll start seeing some of those networks being live, right? Or they'll come on. Uh, but again, it's going to take a few years to completely get there and to, you know, be a full essay only uh, situation. All right. And Mona, my last question for you is a more general one about how Ericsson is supporting its customers in the transition to standalone. What sort of advice is the company giving out? Um, we've seen, you know, North America, we've seen some fantastic momentum today with operators. 
all our operators are kind of either some of them have already embarked in the journey. Um, again, you know, we have a few references here, especially in North America. We have secured contracts with them. And then for some, you know, that are kind of embarking on this journey is where we're also playing the role of an advocate or a consulting, uh, where we're telling them on the options and the choices that they have that, and how they can achieve that, right? One of the biggest strengths from an Ericsson perspective is our uh, support of the dual mode 5G core. And this is very crucial and very important because it allows the operator the flexibility of going from S NSA to SA you know, over the time that they choose to from a transitioning perspective. The other thing um, that Ericsson also did when it came to 5G core is we started day one with cloud native. I mean, that's the term that you often hear in our industry of, you know, applications going cloud native. I think this is a big enabler because it reduces the uh, total TCO for the operator. And it also, it's just the way in which the applications are built. You do not have to worry about the costly migration from a virtualized track to a cloud native. By offering it day one, we allow them to do take advantage of both the cores, EPC as well as SA only from day one. Um, and then, you know, it's it's a lot of people think that this is just another G. So we had 3G, we had 4G, now we have 5G. I mean, in my mind, it is it is transforming the way the industries will truly interact with each other and is also transforming on how the applications are built. I mean, I spoke about the cloud native aspect of it. Uh, so now when you have a different architecture and the differences in which the applications are built, that also means as an organization, as operators, you now need to transform your people, process, and tools because they're no longer the same that they used to be with the previous versions of the technology. So from that, keeping that in mind, there is a big, you know, when we tell operators, we tell them to invest in, you know, training their people, in ad adopting or, you know, updating their processes, their tools. Um, automation is a key area. I mean, the application is built such that it allows for automation, the continuous integration and deployment, you know, the CI/CD type of model. And that is a big enabler for operators uh, because it gives them efficiencies. It allows them to manage these different, you know, even in terms of slicing, it allows them to manage multiple slices. So it's those things that they also need to keep in mind. And then from an Ericsson perspective, I mean, we're just talking about 5G core. You know, we, we love to talk about the radio portion and then the core portion. But from a portfolio perspective, I mean, we do have, we are relevant in areas when it comes to orchestration, when it comes to assurance, when it comes to charging. And these are the, it's like the full package that you will need when you go fully SA. Um, and then lastly, which most of the users care about is the, when is the phone going to come, right? When, when am I going to get my new uh, phone that, that's going to work on this new technology? And that's a big part of our relationship building that we do with the chipset vendors that are out there because we have to work very closely with them to validate all of these scenarios and lab trials and field trials so that at the end of the day, it's a seamless experience for end users like you and me. So those are the different areas in which Ericsson as a company contributes. We work with our partners, we work with our operators. Um, and of course, you know, we provide a portfolio which allows our operators to get there as well. Mona, thank you so much for speaking with me and kind of, you know, giving me the details about how Ericsson is approaching standalone 5G. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Catherine.
Well Technically is an Arden Media production. For advertising inquiries, contact Danny Miller at dmiller at ardenmedia.com. Today's show was produced and edited by me, Catherine Speglia.